Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. All right, welcome to Richmond Biz Live. It's a pleasure to be here with you all today. Today, our focus is gonna be on uh, picking up our conversation where we left off. And in our last show, we focused on valuing a business and preparing your marketing package. And I had the pleasure since my my partner in crime, uh, Rick Grossberg, was out of town that particular show. I had Kent Adams from Transworld Business Advisors on the show, and he gave some insight into the world from a broker's standpoint. So if you have the opportunity, take a listen to that show. It should be in our archives. And if not, be on the lookout for the hard copy version coming out very soon in the form of an ebook. And we'll share this entire season of our conversation around buying and selling businesses. And Rick and I were just chatting a few minutes ago before we uh, got on the air here and discussing the trials and tribulations and, and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly about the industry and just how uh, relatively unsophisticated, I guess it is, was part of our, our conversation. So we'll touch on that today. And, and our topic today is to wrap things up when it comes to the buying and selling of a business around the area of how to target prospective buyers and sellers, as well as negotiating the deal. And then if we have the opportunity, we'll give you some maybe some do's and don'ts of, to think about to uh, wrap things up in a bow. So if that's all right, let's go ahead and uh, dive into our conversation and maybe start with, uh, Rick, some of our experiences when it comes to how to find buyers, prospective buyers for, for a business. Well, the, the, uh, the most, there are some traditional routes to go down. The most traditional being uh, the use of business brokers. Uh, you, and every community has got them. Uh, they come in every shy, size and shape. Uh, they, uh, the, the names do get confusing uh, because the, the names are actually associated with the size of the transaction itself. Right. Uh, a broker typically is going to be dealing with, with companies that will have a, a value, a, a sale value of anywhere from you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars up to a couple of million dollars. After that, if your company is large enough to be able to generate and demonstrate more value, you're, you're dealing with what are called M&A firms, mergers and acquisitions firms. And they'll deal with anything from, you know, typically they'd like to go with deals that are from $5 million up to $150 million. More sophisticated, they come with a team of people. Uh, they're actually, they're, the, the percentage commission that they charge frequently is lower than brokers because the size of the deal is larger. Uh, but that's that's group number two. And then there's group number three, of course, if you happen to be one of those folks who's lucky enough to own a company that's doing, for instance, over $250 million in sales, and you're dealing with investment bankers, and you're dealing with a di- totally different class of individual. Now, I've also, have you also seen, I've seen the, um, that minimum cutoff from an M&A firm standpoint seems to ratchet up every year, it seems. You know, where I'm seeing it getting higher and higher to where it's five Five million is not necessarily the bottom. They're getting into 10 million, 15, 20, 25. What's been your experience in that? that yeah, area? yeah, I've, I've seen that. Uh, the conversations I, I remember having 20 years ago with people in terms of, uh, you know, the size of the deal that they would take. Now it is. It's there's so much work that can be involved with going into a business, 
sitting with the owner, sitting with employees, analyzing it, coming up with what's called a confidential information memorandum, which would be given to a prospective buyer. Uh, you have you could have hours and hours and hours, maybe days, maybe even weeks. Uh, in addition, there are other things which are added to that, for instance, valuations. And sometimes valuations are included in the work which is done, for instance, by the mergers and acquisitions firm, typically not done by a broker. A broker is going to turn you over to a service. Uh, that's another additional cost. So when you look at the time versus the return and you take the total number of hours and you try to understand how much am I generating as an advisor, you, you, you have to realize that the, the, the deals, when they fall less than X amount, they just can't afford to do them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also interesting. I, saw, I think a lot of the our listenership, at least, is going to primarily fall into a broker arena. I think some, some of the smaller M&A firms, perhaps, I think a lot of it's going to be dealing with the business broker, uh, in, in which case, be, be sensitive to the, the type of broker you, you meet with. So Rick and I in, in our travels have talked to, to dozens, if not hundreds, of different business brokers around the country. And again, find a challenge to be, you know, interestingly enough, I found this very interesting. There's no licensure requirement in most states, if any state, to be a business broker. Uh, you have to be a real estate have a real estate license, right? In, thirteen in, states, right? In, in a hand, you know, dozen or so. Yeah, exactly about how many twelve states. or thirteen states. Yeah, it's, it's not a huge number, but that's just a realtor, right? License, and and right? the reason you need a realtor's license is because frequently in the sale of a business, real estate will be included. So you need to have a licensed realtor to be able to do the deal. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. I, I met with a uh, a broker this week. As a matter of fact, he's also from Transworld Business Advisors. He's one of Ken Adams' colleagues. His name's Kobus Vanderwatt. And he just moved here about a year ago from South Africa. And he was a business broker in South Africa. And he said he was amazed when he was approached by the folks at Transworld. Want to come on board? Great. We'll sign you up. You can start selling businesses tomorrow. And, well, welcome to the company. In South Africa, he said there was a strict licensure process. You had to take classes. You had to have ongoing training and education. He said he was amazed. It's still the Wild West in the United States. He thought it would be more sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, this is not intended to, to speak down to the, to the organizations that are brokers and within a franchise network. But the fact is that, that um, I, I've been in business for, I guess, 30 years Mark's been in business a long time. Uh, when it came time to sell my business, I, I had a, at least a reasonably good feeling, and, and there were so many issues involved. The, the fact is that appropriate education and ability to sell a business demands a lot of the same sort of training that you get in an MBA program. And quite frankly, when you go for training in, a, in an organization, for instance, a franchise organization, you don't get the same, you can't possibly get the same amount of training. It, a lot of it is tried to be placed into methodologies that can be followed after you go and study the book carefully. You know, which, which also leads to, to a, a key point for everybody to understand, which is buyer beware when it comes to selecting a broker. A key component that a broker should be providing for you is the qualification of potential buyers. So great service they provide when they not only list a business and make it known in the marketplace that you're interested in selling your business, big part of their job is to qualify potential buyers because you'll get a lot of tire kickers, I think. In my experience, you'll have a lot of folks that, that see you're interested in selling your business. You'll, you'll end up drinking a lot of coffee and having a lot of, uh, a lot of lunches with folks who say they're interested and when you really peel back the onion, they can't afford it. They want you to finance 100% of it as a seller and uh, they don't have the, op- the opportunity to run the business. They may have lost their job or gotten a package out of a company and are interested and always wanted to own their own business. 
and uh, thought they would buy your business because it looked like a good idea. And so, so beware when you bring in a broker. They're, they need to know what they're doing, I think, and make sure that you qualify them, you check references, understand what their experience level is, because they're really going to be handling a key transaction for you and also qualifying potential buyers. So make sure that's something you get across to them. There, there's, a, there's, of course, we, we didn't talk about, and, and we'll go back to the discussion about working with brokers, but there's the, there are those individuals who try to sell the business themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and just like selling a house where, where brokers or, or rather realtors take a position that there is so much time involved in, in doing what's necessary to be able to speak to and attract to and follow up on buyers, it's much more so in a business. Uh, you're, you're, with a with a purchase of a house, you're looking at the you know the size of the bedrooms, the neighborhood. It's pretty pretty straightforward for buyers to look at things and, and ask some relatively simple questions. When you're getting involved in the purchase of a business, and if you're the one who's trying to represent your own business, be prepared to devote 75% of your time, your work week, to trying to deal with the questions and issues that come from potential buyers. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Especially in the in the the lower end in terms of overall value of businesses. When you get into the true small business community, that could be a, a solopreneur making 100 grand a year in revenue to companies in the five to $10 million range even, I, I find they're, they're not gonna have a lot of sophisticated resources that they're working with, so they might try to sell it themselves. And the buyers that are looking to buy businesses of that smaller end, especially less than a million dollars in sales, are gonna tend to be pretty unsophisticated buyers in most cases, and they, they're not quite sure what questions to ask, and they're, if you're representing your business yourself, I, I find my experience had been specifically in a couple of deals, it can go, go south really fast and not be a pleasant experience. So I'm always an advocate of having professionals involved at some point in the process, but you know, when I'm dealing with a, a owner who likes to sell the business themselves, they're, in my experience, the toughest to deal with in many cases. Um, Another area to to consider is the, uh, there's a term called value channels. Uh, And and what that means is that uh, uh, the value of a business will be different to different people for different reasons. Also, the value of a business to the person who owns it will be different for different reasons. What I mean by that is that the, the sort of the trigger for normal sale of businesses, I should say normal, probably not the appropriate word, are the three Ds, which, is, which, which are death, disease, and divorce. So in a situation like that, you're probably going to have a seller who's going to be more motivated and might offer a lower price than an individual who has you know, dominant market share in his particular business in the city that he's in, has a nice track record in terms of profitability, has, I mean, there's a host of things to consider in terms of determining value. But, but the reason this is important is that as a person who's preparing to sell the business, write down the reasons. To, to think about, be very conscious of the reasons about why you're selling your business. Because if you're selling your business for the purposes of being able to um, have enough income to retire on, and this is a this is this now gets into an interesting area. C- consider the following: I, I have a business that I've been drawing $150,000 a year out of that business, and so after speaking with a broker who may take it on, or you decide to do it yourself, you're going to try to get $300,000 for the business. Well, let's consider that you take your 150, your excuse me, your $300,000 
that, that you really would like to try to sell the business for, and let's assume you can actually get it. You take that $300,000, you invest it, and you're getting what, 4%, 5%? Mm-hmm. So, you're, so you're looking at uh, in the neighborhood of, let's see, the uh, would be about... Like ten thousand dollars, ten yeah, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, that's about ten to twelve thousand dollars. So you you had a business, you were drawing one hundred and fifty thousand dollars from the business. Now you're in a situation where you're drawing ten to twelve thousand dollars. So why is this significant? Because there are many different ways of selling a business, and one of the things that I've discussed with individuals who've had business for sale is that if you feel comfortable with the buyer, why not consider taking a payout over an extended period of time? Arguably, you could even structure it as a royalty relationship between the buyer and the seller. The point is that if you sit down, take pencil to paper and analyze how much money is going to be taken out of the business over, for instance, 15 years versus taking a lump sum cash payment and investing it, you'll be astounded at how much more money comes out and being able to take a payment over a long period of time. Yeah, I, I agree, which, which is part of the, the discussion around negotiating the deal, I think. One, one really great strategy in negotiating on either side of the table is to make sure that you have some of those alternatives in place. Again, be willing to, uh, as a seller, know that the majority of deals are going to have a seller financing component to them. And a royalty, for example, is one type of seller financing. At the end of the day, you're taking some risk as opposed to an all-cash deal. And, and also understand that, that it's, it's rare that you have an all-cash deal. Very rare. Most deals involve some type of finance. It's going to be rare that as a seller, you're expected to be able to just get your cash and walk away from the business. In most cases, the buyer is also going to want some involvement from you, at least for some period of time, to help teach you the business, show you where everything is and, and where the skeletons are and, and how to negotiate different pieces of the business. Ideally, that's a great thing to have. So that's going to be involved as well. So you generally can't, as a seller, you can't just walk away. As a buyer, it's reasonable to expect that you're going to have to stay, keep the previous owner involved in the business in some respect, especially if they're doing some financing. They might want to have some awareness of how you're doing and how the business is progressing. And they also might want to check if they're smart. The seller is going to check your background and understand your ability to pay back that loan that they're giving to you in the form of owner financing. So, so be aware of that, certainly, when it comes to negotiating the deal. Uh, and also, let, let, let's talk philosophically a little bit, uh, Rick, in terms of negotiating the deal. And one area of interest for a lot of our listeners, I think, is understanding how actively should you get your staff involved in the process. A critical component of negotiating a deal, I believe, that adds a tremendous amount of value to the business on, on, for both parties, the seller as well as the buyer, is if as a seller I've put together a plan and here are some things that if I'm, as you said, the three Ds, maybe I'm just ready to retire and ready to enjoy the fruits of my labor. It's been 30, 40, 50 years I've been chipping away at this business. I'm 65 years old now. I'd like to take it easy. Uh, here are some ideas I think could be done to help grow this business. I just don't have the inclination or the resources in many cases or the knowledge to be able to do it. So here's some stuff you could do. And here's a, a strategic plan for you. And that's one area of interest, I think, Rick. And then also, how actively should we get our staff involved when you're going to sell a business? So why don't you give some thoughts on both of those areas? Yeah, well, let's we'll talk about the staff first. I mean, consider this, that, that people working are working in a business. It's giving them income. It's supporting their families. You know, there, there may or may not be a rumor that the owner is trying to sell, but, but they're interested in keeping their jobs. 
Uh, and um, there, there are two philosophies about this. Philosophy one is that you absolutely keep a sale as secret as possible. So that, you know, on Monday you walk in and you say, folks, here is the new owner. Uh, it, 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 I, I, the theory being that people don't know that the business is for sale. They're not preparing to jump to another business. But then there's the other side of the coin, and that is that given – of course, it's different for different companies. But people who are in a leadership position in the business, quite frankly, unless they have – designs on buying the business, it helps them to be able to see what is going on because they want to preserve their job. In fact, they may even want to have their two cents worth of improving the business. So bringing in the right people into the conversation who are working for you can make a lot of sense. Um, the the co consequences are, in my opinion, are equally risky if you don't say anything at all, <laughs> because a as everybody knows, you know, 90% of the workplace is having good relationships with between employees and between management and employees. If you bring a person in with a bad bad personality, you're going to have the same walk away problem that you would I I in the event that you let the information out that you were trying to sell your business. Um, there's another interesting issue, and, and it's part of the uh, thinking process uh, that a seller should have about why, why are they selling the business and what are those issues that they're considering uh, as, as part of the sale. And what I mean by that is most smaller businesses and most small business owners, they, they know their employees. They know their employees' wives and their, their kids, and, and you'll hear very common statement made that that you know I want to sell to someone who's going to preserve my business to have it grow to to make sure all those jobs and more are going to be there for years to come I mean it's it's a normal and natural thing most owners really are very tight with their employees so and this gets a little bit interesting because uh, you can sell a company for more than it's worth to an unsophisticated buyer burden the company with debt and a year later, that company has gone away. So, so there is a, a kind of a the, the the negotiation process does not necessarily mean that people are opposing each other. The process of transferring the business from party A to party B can also mean them sitting down together at the table and working with budgets, working with future budgets. In fact, there's a, there's a very straightforward uh, process that an owner can go through to both improve the value of the business, but also allowing the owner to understand what's going on. And that's preparing a, f a vision. You know, what is my business? What could my business look like in five years? And that's kind of a, not a long document. It's a few pages. And then along with that comes a pro forma budget, something in today's world of technology. You can put it in the computer, and you can start to play with all sorts of numbers. How many sales? What's the gross profit? What's the what are the customers? How are they going to perform? So it gets the potential owner bought into the process of what it's going to be like to own the business. It also allows the owner to see in really hard terms in black and white the consequences of overselling the business, of selling the business for so much money that <laughs> the, the owner comes in, part of it's his own money, part of it's the bank debt, but the bank has to be paid and if the company doesn't perform and the debt's too high, that business goes away. I'm Ben Meredith, and I help companies with their sales technology. I work with products like Salesforce, Act, or Zoho, 
to help businesses increase their sales effectiveness by driving new revenue and improving customer service. Many business owners I talk to are experiencing problems like difficulty tracking sales activities or not having accurate sales forecasts or pipelines. And often business owners have already implemented the sales system, but it's just not meeting their expectations. End user adoption is low, and they're just not really getting the results that they were expecting. For business owners, as well as CRM specialists, customer relationship management experts. You can spend a couple of weeks searching for solutions by yourself, or spend a couple of hours talking to me. Visit me online at benmeredith.com. You can contact me directly at 804-503-8700. Visit us online at richmondbizlive.com or on the air every Friday at noon, WLAE News Talk 990. Yeah, it really is interesting. The numbers are, are astounding when it comes to the, the percentages of businesses that are acquired and the failure rate within a year. It's, it's you know, in the 60, 70, 80 percent range, depending on what study you read. But overwhelmingly, the majority of businesses, once they are purchased, they fail primarily because of debt, I think. Yeah. When businesses, like you said, they're just burdened with debt, and, and they, you have an eager buyer who would really love to own the business. The, the seller has unreasonable expectations of value uh, because of all the blood, sweat, and tears they've put into the business. And so they end up with too much debt. They don't leave enough in, in play for working capital, so they undercapitalize the business, and then they fail. Then they lose their life savings. They lose their retirement. And you lost your, your legacy as a former business owner as well. So one key takeaway also is to make sure that you do your best to get on both, as Rick said, on, on the same side of the table. So often we start this relationship, in, in, especially in a big purchase like this, similar to a house. Oftentimes you can have a very contentious purchase of a house just because you and the seller are on opposite sides of the table. And oftentimes you're represented by an intermediary who has their best their interest at stake as well to sell the price uh, sell the business on one side of the equation for as much as possible because they get a commission for it and the other side of the equation for as little as possible so they can they can do what's best for their client in their opinion so it's interesting out of the gate it starts on opposite sides of the table so if you can focus on uh, partnering with the seller and buyer getting them together working together to decide what's in the best interest of the business as Rick said it's a very common discussion you have with business owners that they, they really do want to leave a legacy. They've built something important to them. Uh, I always like to look at, at the business as someone's baby. So this is their child. They've gotten them through through the, the difficult years. They got them through adolescence. Now they're an adult child. They're ready to step back and let the child run on their own by turning the business over to somebody else. So oftentimes we want to preserve that legacy and sell the business to someone who we think will take it to the next level and keep our, our good name. because And so often we're, our personal identity is tied to that business. So if I'm going to stay in, in the Richmond marketplace as an example, my people are, are forever, really, for many, many years going to say, oh, Mark, didn't you have the so-and-so company? Yeah, I sold it 15 years ago to somebody else, but it's, I'm still tied to that business. So my personal reputation and my ego in many respects is tied to it. So it's really to our benefit to work things out with a buyer in the best interest of the business, not just what's in your personal financial interest. Again, is often a short-term view if that business fails, which most of them do, unfortunately. Here's another interesting issue. As a matter of fact, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, a fellow named uh, Rob Slee. Some of you may have heard him speak in your city, uh, but it had to do with an interesting phenomenon of sort of the owner's psychological conditioning and the time required to prepare an owner for the sale of a business. Think about it. I, I'm a business owner. I've had the business for 20 years or 25 years. Every day I get up, 
I get dressed, I get in my car, I drive to the office, I know the people, I know the business, I know the vendors, I know the customers. And then one day you wake up and there's no place to go. It, it, I can't tell you the number of people that go through major suffering because something that's been part of their life for who knows, a third of a century is now just gone. Significant because in selling your business, you need to give yourself time. And we're not talking about weeks or months, we're talking about probably years. You need a, a, fr a friend of mine in the Midwest who sold his business, they, the, his, he had a coach working with him, and basically what the coach said is says, we're gonna, we're gonna have your business ready to go within three and five years. And one of the things he had the owner do is start to take off one day a week. That was for a year. And then the second year, he had him take off two days a week. And then he had him take off three days a week. So the time, by the time the business was going to be sold, the owner was only putting in one day a week. The emotions and the psychology that went along with the transfer of ownership were really eased. You know, the owner was ready to go. Uh, he's, he actually had taken his spare time and already dreamt up another business. So a word of caution about selling a business. Try to separate yourself, utilizing whatever method or person to help you that you can. Otherwise, you're going to be you'll be right up to that signing point, and you and you're going to have questions about, oh my God, what am I doing? Why am I selling this thing? I've been living with this thing for so long. I don't know what I'll do tomorrow. Absolutely, and so a couple of keynotes there, folks, is to take years to prepare. And what's what's also interesting is I find most brokers don't generally want to get involved in the deal until it's within one year. So it's, it actually is very interesting in terms of who you bring on your team. Generally, brokers deal with their transaction driven, which is how they get compensated, so rightfully so in most cases, that they really want to make sure a deal is going to happen that's imminent, not five years out into the future. So brokers are oftentimes not the best resource when it comes to that, but they can direct you to some great resources. A coach, as Rick said, is great to get your business in order. Really, regardless of if you're looking to sell the business or not, it's a great practice to start uh, working with professionals who can get the policies, the procedures, the systems in place. Uh, as a famous author, Michael Gerber, wrote in the E-Myth and the E-Myth series of books, that's a critical part of making any business function uh, as a real business instead of just a, a practice or a solopreneur being technically good at a business is to put that structure into place. So when it does come time to sell the business, if that's your choice, or you want a, a great technique or strategy is to not exit the business, keep the business going and just step back from the business and have a great management team in place is a great strategy. So oftentimes the best answer is just not to sell the business or divest, just step back from the business and keep yourself plugged into the business. But if you can gradually step back from the business over time, put systems, structure, policies, procedures, and a great team in place, then the business can truly run without you. Now you've got an annuity revenue stream set up. And if you get a few of those set up, you're talking real money. And it also is a great lifestyle as well to be able to step back and just check in every once in a while to see how the business is doing. I, I used to talk to people who owned small businesses, trying to help them understand whether they owned a practice or whether they owned a business. Now, there's no right or wrong here, but the nature of a practice, if you think about it, and let's take with the common term practice there, doctors and attorneys and engineers, uh, th those people are doing the work. 
the, the individuals in the firm are there to support the primary breadwinner, the owner of the firm, the engineer, the architect, the, the attorney. And uh, that, that's a practice. When you think about it, when that owner goes away, you really can't sell practically that business. And that owner goes away, and there goes the individual who's responsible for bringing the dollars in the door. So, so think about that. Now also think about and ask yourself this question. Uh, do, I, do I own or do I run what's called an owner-centric business? Or do I run a systems-centric business? Because there is an enormous difference in terms of the value of the business. If you are the person who sort of comes into the office every day and you, you know, you're checking with your financial person, you're, you're checking production, you're doing some sales calls, you're dealing with vendors, uh, that that's a that's lean, starts to lean towards more of a practice than a business. Ideally, by the time you are selling your business, you'll be able to demonstrate to uh, prospective buyers that you know something. Last year, I went away and I took a month off, and when I came back, sales had increased five percent. I wasn't even there, and profitability stayed this stayed the same or got better. And I and I looked at the bank account and it was up ten thousand dollars in that one one thirty day period of time. That's a much more valuable business. Absolutely, and it's amazing how many businesses don't don't put that in place until it's too late. You know, all of a sudden they're they're ready to have a need to sell. There's there's a death in the family, for example. Now I have to sell the business. Now I want to start this process of putting these things in place, and it's it's very very difficult to do then. So do it when you the business is ideally out of the gate when you're starting a business start to put the policies, procedures, track how things work and how the place operates so you have those operating manuals already in place. I, I've got a, a friend who has an HVAC business here in town and that's he decided a couple of years ago that he wants to sell the business in about 10 years. So he's put a 10-year plan in place and it started with uh, simply improving his, what's fascinating is it's good for the business again anyway. So the fact that you run more effectively, more efficiently, you're more profitable is just good for any business if you decide never to sell the business. When it comes to selling the business, when you have that in place, it's much more valuable. And what he's done, he started to reach out to industry experts. He started to, when, when you've got the thought process of at some point I want to sell this business, you're going to look at the business differently. You're going to operate differently. You're going to ask different questions and have a different perspective than I'm just hanging out here and I'm, I bought myself a job. I'm planning to do this forever. And that, I see that when it, with solopreneurs and 10, 15, $20 million companies. Like you said, as soon as the owner leaves, the place is going to fall apart. So you never really want to be in that position, especially if you have hopes of ever selling the business. So start looking at the world differently if you want to consider selling at some point as an option. Then uh, start putting the pieces in place. Start having the conversations with people that are experts. Start focusing on growing your business. Uh, another key metric in a lot of industries is recurring revenue streams. So if you have ways in your industry, in the uh, heating and air conditioning field, for example, it's monthly maintenance agreements. So this person started to look at his business differently. Instead of just doing routine maintenance and setting up new systems, he heard from expert after expert that recurring revenue stream gives a lot of value to your business. So what did he focus on? He started to focus his marketing, uh, his, his sales process his promotions all around the area of getting people into their monthly maintenance program. So now he's got 2,000 people on his maintenance program and he's continuing to build that, but that's who he found was huge value. Another friend in the landscaping business doing two to three million a year, same thing. He focuses on monthly maintenance agreements and that was a pivot from where he was a couple of years ago 
because now he's got, I want to sell my business in his mind. And so he's looking at his business very, very differently. Uh, there, there is, There are so many things that go into this specific area of business value to, to sort of move over a little bit in the conversation that, that it's arguable whether there's a science to it or it's an art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, the reality is is that if you take a business, a, a single business, and turn it over to five different advisors, chances are very, very good that every advisor will come up with a different price for that business. And, and so it, it's it w- definitely worth your while to spend some time with somebody who can provide you with information about what's the best way to position the business. F- for instance, we talked a few minutes ago about the idea of when an owner walks in the door and he's given his uh, confidential information memorandum, which people actually prepare, they can prepare themselves, but but ideally you have someone else prepare it. It, it needs to be there and you show it to a person. But within that binder, the idea of, again, being able to show a person a believable vision of the future. And, and sometimes that requires things like, uh, I'm in the such and such industry, you know, I'm a member of the association in the industry, and I'm gonna spend the next couple of weeks calling around the country calling through my network, trying to identify new trends. I, ideally, what you don't hear <laughs> is that the industry is in a shutdown mode. Ideally, you hear and discover that there are people out there that are trying new ideas, exciting ideas, because that immediately gets put into that memorandum, that immediately gets put into that uh, Excel spreadsheet as a growth potential of the business. Why is this, why, why am I saying this? Because this introduces science into something that, that uh, again, unfortunately, uh, is more art sometimes than science. And what you want to do is you want to be able to have a person say, well, wh- how did you come up with that price? Well, let me show you the five things, the five characteristics that make up the business. And I'm going to attach value to each of those things. This is so enormously important. It's not only important to the buyer who wants to know this, but quite frankly, it's also important to any any party that's going to be lending money to this, and they're talking to the new owner. The new owner needs a line of credit. He needs some capital to buy equipment. He needs there's some sort of exchange of funds going on. That owner better understand the business and that owner better understand what the future of the business is because if I'm lending you money, I don't want to hear, well, you know, I just needed to pay my bills. No, I, I needed to provide capital to be able to move the business into this next level of, of development, of sales. I, I need the people to support that. It's a very, very different picture. Again, it elevates the value of the business. On the turn of a friend, Hey, Bill Eastman here. You know me as the executive producer of Richmond Biz Live, Richmond's number one business talk radio show. And I want to share with you our vision for season four. If you're a business owner or a small business executive who wants to dominate their market, and I'm not talking about just winning, I'm talking about owning your market or niche. Be here every Friday at 12.06 as we provide you the most significant 54 minutes in your week. Every Friday, we combine live radio, the web, and social media to provide answers to your questions on how to grow to achieve market dominance. Go to our website, richmondbizlive.com, and become a registered listener, and you will receive our best practices so that you can make an immediate impact on your business. Join us every Friday at 12.06 on WLE News Talk 990 for the ultimate power lunch.
most of these these things we're talking about benefit both both parties, the seller as well as the buyer. You know, for example, along the lines of your comments, was we're really Rick and I both big advocates of getting outside of your own city, so to speak. So if, if I'm if I'm an interested buyer in buying a whatever, regardless of what the business is. We encourage you to get outside of town and get on the phone, work the internet, find out who, who are the big players in that industry and see what they've done. It's amazing how many people will be wide open with you sharing information as long as you're not in their backyard. Direct competitors, sometimes not so much. But if you get outside of the Richmond marketplace, for example, start calling out west uh, and out down in the south, outside of the state of Virginia, oftentimes folks are more than happy to have a conversation with you about what's been successful in their business. And you can learn a lot by going online about businesses or tapping into publicly available resources about other businesses around the country and see who's really killing it in their industry. Uh, connect with some industry meetings, industry journals at the very least. If you're researching getting into certain industries, uh, don't take anybody's word for granted. Uh, the seller, for example, if they say the business is great, it's booming, things are going well, and they can hopefully answer the question we, we posed earlier, which is why do you want to sell the business? Uh, make sure as a potential buyer you ask that question, and as a seller you better be able to answer that question properly. Uh, and take a look at the business objectively. Uh, get outside of town, ask questions, and if you're the seller you should be doing the exact same thing. If you want to prepare the business for sale, any smart buyer is going to ask that hard question of why are you getting out of the business and you know what, what do you think could be done with the business to increase the value and if you've done your homework as a potential seller it's going to be much more valuable to me as a buyer and that that really falls into this this intangible goodwill arena i think of buying a business that does make the valuation very difficult uh, as we mentioned in, in a previous show the valuations are often the most commonly used formula is going to be a a multiple of your your net income so I take a look at cash flow, whatever cash flow may be, and say I want to get a, a three to five year payback on my investment. So I'm going to look at your business's valuation as a multiple of that bottom line, what the cash flow looks like. And that's it's, it can be as simple as that. And a lot of people rely upon that as a valuation methodology. And there are also a lot of services out there now online where you can see comparables of what other folks in your industry have sold for around the country to get an idea of what a business is really worth. So uh, that's a great resource as well to look at in the, in the world today that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago. You really had to trust a broker or a person you're working with to tell you what the business is worth. Now I can look around the industry. I can ask a lot of questions. And it, again, it's amazing how open people can be with you and are happy to share information. I, I think the, the one of the key words here is research. Uh, people do not spend very much time doing the research, which is required as part of the preparation process to be able to put your business for sale. Now let's talk a little bit about research. Research is utilizing Mark's terms, sort of getting out of your city. Um, under ideal circumstances, and if you're a member of an association, you might association might be able to help you with this. What you want to be able to do is you want to talk to a person in another city who's in the same industry as yours, who has actually sold their business, and ask them to tell you the story about what happened. Uh, it, it is extraordinary the amount of information that you'll pick up by doing this sort of thing. So, so that's, that's, that's sort of major research, number one. And incidentally, there are so many places to go to get this kind of research. There, are, of course, are people within your industry, and if, and if you're a member of an association. But the brokers themselves, 
you know, just because you, you call a broker in another city, he doesn't expect necessarily <laughs> just you're going to sign up. You're, you're doing research. You're going to say, have you sold an HVAC business? And tell me, how did you come up with the price? Half a dozen of those telephone calls, you're going to have a thousand percent more knowledge about what the value is and what the techniques were that were employed by other people who are acting as advisors or brokers representing a seller. So very, very important. Um, there are numerous, numerous great books uh, on, on the sale of a business. Of course, some of the problems with the books are that uh, frequently they're actually written by people who've never sold a business. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful to try to see a little bit more about the person who wrote the book. But terrific, terrific stuff out there. Uh, interestingly, if you want a completely an inverted observation about sort of how is a buyer looking at a business, there's, a, there's sort of the, the Bible of buy side uh, economics was written by a guy named Richard Parker. I think the name of his book was Buying a Good Business at a Great Price. So. And and if you go through that 521 pages, and incidentally, it's you know it's worth the two or $300 investment in buying the book. You'll see what a good, smart buyer is looking for in a business. You'll see about the kinds of issues that they're going to ask. You'll understand about their negotiating techniques. All this gives you lots and lots of ammunition in order to go in more prepared to be able to sell your business, even if you're working with a broker. You know, I mean, brokers are terrific people, but they don't know everything. <laughs> you, you could come in and add 50% of the potential explanation and therefore value to the deal if you do enough research. Absolutely, and, and it, it is. Yeah, you, you were gonna, you're going to lean on your broker quite a bit, and it's, it's one of the pieces of advice we gave in a previous show was to ideally find a broker with experience in the industry you're looking to buy or sell in. And that's hard to find. So there are the benefits of some of the, the larger international organizations out there that some of the franchises are great because they hopefully have access to other resources and other colleagues that they can tap into. Uh, most of them don't though. And most of them don't take advantage of that resource. But that is a great question to ask. Again, either buyer or seller. If you're looking to acquire a business, work with somebody who has experience in the industry you're looking to get into, and if they're not in your city, track them down you know, electronically, start a dialogue with them to understand what questions you should be asking. And if you're a seller, when possible, find somebody who actually understands your business, who is known as selling in your particular industry. And if you have to go outside of your local marketplace, do that. But my, my guidance is generally to find somebody who knows your industry and knows your business. They're going to be able to help you out much better than somebody who does not. Well, let, let's also, Rick, let's dip into uh, a few other topics. I wanted to, to give our, our listeners some do's and don'ts as well to wrap up some of the conversations we've had over the season. So let, let me start down some of this list and see where the, uh, the conversation goes. Is, is, is First of all, one of the top, the top do's, for example. The top do's, one of them, is to make sure you spend sufficient time to polish up the business. And I'm just amazed by how many folks every day who spend, they'll spend hours and hours and hours and hire lots of people to help them with uh, press releases and doing the graphic design behind a brochure or their website. And during my active running of my business, I'll spend thousands of dollars, generally 5% of my sales on marketing my business and growing my sales. And then when it comes time to actually sell the business, I don't want to spend a dime to, uh, to polish it up and promote it properly. And I find that fascinating. So one, one top do is to make sure you invest some resources in, uh, as we've talked about, 
Well, what is the plan, potential plan for the business? What is the vision for the business? What is not just the sales book I'm putting together with the financial information in it? Let me give you my vision of where I think the business could go. And think of this as a marketing process and a sales process rather than just a financial process. If you really want to get maximum value for your business, uh, think about how much you can invest in positioning the business for sale and marketing the business and getting it packaged and polishing it up. And, and it's it's... I know that it doesn't make sense, but being able to bring a potential buyer into an environment that looks nice, is clean, has people who are who appear to be engaged, ideally they're really engaged, it, it is extraordinary. The, a, a close friend of mine who had sold a business a number of years ago, his philosophy was that when I start that business, I need to have that business look like it's ready to be sold from day one. And it was an amazing story. The, uh, the, without, without providing any confidential information, the, the business was purchased. He purchased the business. It was small. He grew it for, oh, 10 or 12 years. Uh, wound up driving sales from like 300000 to $15 million. This business, though, was sold at an extraordinary multiple, a historic multiple. Well, if you went into this business when it was going through its selling process, the spaces were organized the individuals who were they had a lot of technical jobs the individuals there wore sort of technical clothing white jackets with the name of the company on it uh, they, they all used similar or same branded equipment it, it looked it took a company that was doing 12 million dollars and making it look like it was a company doing 120 million dollars very very powerful image and do not overlook this Great. That's a great, great point. Uh, another one is to, to build your team of experts. And we've talked about that in the previous show as well, is to make sure you bring in the expertise. And don't, uh, I generally don't like to encourage people to go it alone. This is going to be an, a significant transaction in your life. In most, if not all cases, one of your biggest assets are going to be buying or selling. So surround yourself with great, competent people, generally in the, in the accounting and legal fields in particular. Uh, bring in a valuation expert to get a valuation of the business. You, you can expect to spend uh, somewhere between four and $8,000, depending upon the business and industry, to get a, a certified valuation done of the business. And again, this is on either side of that equation. It's great to have that, that valuation done. So you have an objective view of what the business could be worth. So surround yourself. Who else do you think should be on that team? So accounting folks, legal folks, I think would be very helpful. Evaluation person would be helpful. Um, well, uh, yeah, of course, advisors, and advisors in this case is a sort of a term that's used for people who are in the brokerage side of the business. But, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, these aren't huge teams. But, but, but P.S., on a, on a team situation, you want to make sure that the team player has experience doing this. And, and if a person, for instance, oh, let's say an attorney says, oh, sure, I've done a lot of this, ha have them feed you a little bit of information because it's, it's amazing how um, uh, the presentation of I'm an expert at it means that they did a deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not a long history. So, so get really get comfortable with the, with the folks on the team by asking them very, very uh, uh, direct questions about their experience and some examples so that your confidence is up and that you'll also be sure that the prospective buyers that come in will be talking to somebody who's articulate and can explain it. Right. And, and be leery of, uh, of folks who, uh, especially my, my accountant I use for my personal taxes and for my business taxes, 
often is not as seasoned in doing uh, business acquisition or mergers. Uh, attorneys, same thing. Attorneys who can, and oftentimes the challenge is you'll have, the, they'll say they can't. Oh, I can help you with that. Of course, it's the same thing. I can help you sell your business or buy a business. In most cases, they can unless they've been there. So follow up with that, that next critical question of, you know, how many have you done? How many have you been involved in already? I'd rather not pay for their education. Uh, so go out and find somebody. It's going to be a much more pleasant experience and a, a significant cost savings when you're not paying for someone else's education. So regardless of what their, their title is or their licensure, make sure you find a qualified, capable individual. Uh, another area is to, uh, along the lines of financial records, and, and I find that this is an interesting area. Ideally, it's great to have a couple of years' worth of audited books when you're positioning to sell your business. Now, the number of companies that actually go out and have audited books is very low because it's an incredibly expensive process and time-consuming process to have audited financials available. So in an ideal world, to, if you want to increase the value of your business and have a smooth process, it's great to have audited financials by, by a, a, a credible accounting firm. At the same time, I understand that that's not realistic in most cases, especially for the typical small business that, that's under 10 million in size, let's say. It's, it's often not done. At the very least, have good, clean books, I think. Uh, again, another challenge in, in the small business community is we often want to carry a couple different sets of books. When it comes to the uh, IRS's standpoint, it, it behooves us to have the business as, as unprofitable as possible, <laughs> be very creative when it comes to some expenses. When it comes to selling the business, you want the business to be as profitable as humanly possible. So uh, oftentimes it can be very difficult as a potential buyer coming in that I don't know who to believe. Uh, and when it comes to financing the business as well, it's, you can't, as a uh, buyer coming in to acquire the business, if you present the business as historical financials, oftentimes they'll discard them because they're not realistic. They have to really make their own assumptions because sellers can get so creative with their, with their, with their books. So start thinking about cleaning up your books and have, have honest financials out there as opposed to being too creative with your finances, especially if you're thinking of selling the business and get your books in order early on. Uh, have, having a, don't do it yourself. I, I, I really hate to see when folks go it alone, especially with a significant business. Uh, I always recommend people have a bookkeeper involved, a CPA firm helping you with their financial analyses so you're not uh, running that yourself out of QuickBooks. Uh, I know you certainly can, and the software is, is very robust. Uh, my methodology is always to have a bookkeeper, when I get to a certain size, have a bookkeeper handle the bookkeeping for me, have a CPA come in and handle the financial analysis. At the same time, I always love being able to poke my nose into the uh, tent in the form of QuickBooks Online is my preference, so I can see what's going on with the business at any time. But give some significant thoughts on how you're going to handle your financial uh, books and get your bookkeeping in order. Well, along with that goes the the very confusing for a lot of people uh, issue about how the sale is to be treated for purposes of taxation. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many ways of structuring a sale and the difference between structure A and structure B can literally mean tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars to the seller. Uh, I, I highly, highly recommend that, you know, if you're looking at your, at your advisory group, that, that a competent tax advisor, whether it's a CPA or whether it's a tax attorney, that person is brought in early on. And, and let that person be creative. I know, you know, so say, you know, I'm, I'm obviously my goal is to sell the business and, and, and to uh, incur as little as necessary in terms of my, my tax position and see what they have to say. It's amazing what a really competent 
advisor can do in terms of being able to direct uh, the, the, the what should be done in terms of the sale and actually make it more attractive to the buyer. So, you know, really, really high on the list. Um, yeah, I, I agree. To make sure that, that a, a tax advisor is a critical part and, and ideally as early as possible in the equation. So oftentimes you have, one of the first people you'll talk to might be a financial advisor to get a sense of how, how is my financial position and am I ready to exit the business and can you give me a sense of what I think the business might be able to be sold for? I've done some of my own research, so how is that going to impact me and, and am I in a position to go ahead and exit the business? So that might be one of the first person people you talk to. A tax advisor I think should be early on the list, so I really understand, as Rick said, to, uh, what are the options I have. That's oftentimes why seller financing isn't a bad thing. So I can take my money over time as opposed to one lump sum. The tax ramifications could be dramatic. So oftentimes it's beneficial to spread to spread the, the, spread that money out a little bit. Also, if you have property associated with the business, to you can get very creative in terms of leasing back real estate or leasing back assets to give you a better financial position than taking it all cash at one time. That's, that's great advice. I, I think that at this point in the conversation, I, hopefully what we've we've been able to communicate is uh, uh, a process that requires patience, requires research, requires a lot of investigation, requires sort of getting on the telephone, you know, going out for that drink, uh, meeting with the people. Um, I, you'd be amazed at how many people say, well, time to sell the business. And, you know, two weeks later, that business is with a broker and it's listed. How much research, planning, uh, speaking did the seller do? Well, about two or three days <laughs> worth. Uh, how, how much of their of this uh, portion of their personal balance sheet does the business represent? It could represent everything. And so the idea of being able to take something as precious and important in this without putting in the proper due diligence for as a seller, doing the due diligence is extraordinarily important. Yeah, it really is. And then so many businesses, I've had this comment, the broker I talked to uh, a couple days ago made the same comment that, that so many buyers are just not prepared. They just figure they'll put it on a list somewhere and on the internet and then someone's going to call them and buy the business and everything's rosy. And the, the realistic fact is most of these folks are not prepared. So as Rick said, do your homework, be prepared. Uh, take the time and energy necessary, just like you put into building your business, preparing your business for sale. If you're looking to buy a business, make sure you've done your homework as well and make sure you know exactly what you're looking to buy. And at the end of the day, sit at the same side of the table, buyer and seller, work together, collaborate to do what's in the best interest of both buyer and seller, and you'll have a great experience. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success. Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week.